0: Welcome everybody. I uh, hope you're having a great morning. Um, welcome to those who are worshiping with us online. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning. My name is Grant Gardner. I am the middle school minister here at SOCC. Uh, I love getting to work with the youth and just the next generation, um, which I'll be talking about a little bit today. Um, and I got to say that I love being a part of a church that values the importance of of our youth um, and just youth ministry in general. I've received so much encouragement um, from many of you in my four years here, and I truly could not be doing what I do without all of your guys' love, your support, your prayers, um, all of those things. Seriously, guys, thank you so much um, for how you come around us ministers and people here on staff. Um, We couldn't do it without you guys. Now, all that being said, let's address the elephant in the room Yes, I am the guy. Um, if you remember me in my last sermon here, I shared the story about how I drove from to Cincinnati instead of Chicago. Common mistake, we all do it. Um, <laughs> and I was reminded of the, just how much God wired our brains for stories, because apparently the only thing people remembered from that sermon was that story. Um, I even had a gentleman come up to me after service and ask, "Now, seriously, did that actually happen?" Yes, it was indeed a true story. I didn't make it up, um, but that's so true, isn't it? We love and remember stories. I believe that's why Jesus often illustrated his points through parables um, or stories. And uh, I just, I love that Jesus was the greatest minister of all time, but I also love that Jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time. That's why I enjoy this series, At The Movie, J.R.R. Tolkien, if you don't know him, he's the writer of The Lord of the Rings, argued in many of his conversations with a skeptical C.S. Lewis at the time that the gospel story of Jesus is not simply one more great story pointing to the underlying reality. Rather, the gospel story of Jesus is the underlying reality to which all stories point. Every good story points to the one true story. So today we're going to be using the movie Polar Express... To point to the one true story, which I've recently found out there's apparently a book. Anybody like a book over the movie type of person? Yeah. Um, can't believe that they wrote a book based on the movie. That's crazy. Um kidding. Apparently the book came first, or so I'm told. But in the story, we follow the main character uh, who was never actually named in the story. Literally, the credits label him as Hero Boy. And this hero boy is very skeptical of the magic of Santa Claus and Christmas. He is set on giving up his childish beliefs and disproving that Santa Claus exists. That is, until he jumps aboard the Polar Express that night and experiences the journey of a lifetime. Through the story, he will encounter new friends, a friendly ghost, elves, the North Pole, and most importantly, hot chocolate. It's a wild ride. Through this journey, though, the nagging question Hero Boy is presented with is, do you truly have to see Santa Claus in person before you believe? And the silver bells are the plot device in which this theme is played out. Those who believe can hear the ringing of the bells, and those who can't don't truly believe. Um, So I'm going to spoil the movie for all of you guys, and we're going to watch a little bit of the ending. So many good themes in that section, Uh, I gotta say though, if there's any time to make a live action remake of a movie, that animation style is something. Maybe you felt like hero boy in your life. You felt like you need to grow up and stop believing in myths. Maybe you're on a journey to deconstruct your faith and find out what you truly believe. And you're skeptical about all of this Jesus stuff. If that is you, I'm so glad that you are here with us today. This story in the Polar Express reminds me of an account given in the Gospels, specifically We are going to look at an account given in Mark chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible or Bible app, um, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now what does Jesus mean by this? Children can be convinced of a lot. I remember when I was in middle school, I attended a YFC camp. And during one of the more powerful and emotional nights... Uh, A group of us middle school boys sat around um, a circle and shared about hard things going on in our lives. And at one point, this boy in our group, he speaks up and he says with the most serious of faces and tones, for the longest time, I thought the moon was made out of cheese. And at this point in my life, I wouldn't have considered myself the most emotionally intelligent boy, but even Immature me knew that this was probably not the best time to laugh. Um, But I got to say, years later, it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I did not. I mean, this kid said it was like betrayal on levels he had never seen before. So what is Jesus telling us here? Is Jesus telling us to think like children and just blindly follow him? Of course not. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So, if Jesus is not telling us to be children in our thinking, what is he trying to say here? Well, the first thing is that little children at this time were not considered old enough to understand or even fully obey the law. So Jesus is implying that entry into the kingdom of heaven doesn't depend on our own works or our own righteousness, but it depends on humility and trust in him. After all, children were the lowest on the totem pole politically and culturally. They had zero say into how society functioned. Little children were totally dependent on their family. Jesus is calling out the pride of the people, specifically the religious people, saying that unless you acknowledge that you are least before God and rely with total dependence on his grace, you cannot be saved. This passage lies in contrast to the very next section in which a rich young ruler comes before Jesus. In contrast to the little children, this man would have been seen as someone with great righteousness and standing with God He asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him to obey the commandments. And the man replies, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. That's a pretty bold claim. Many in the crowd could have called him out for not doing so. So he had to be somebody with great standing in the public. Then in verse 21, Jesus challenges this man of great standing. And he says this, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disentheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This man believed the myth that many of us believe. He believed he could earn his way into heaven. He relied on his great wealth and his standing, his possessions, rather than a trust and dependence on God. He trusted in earthly possessions and what he could see and touch. He lacked a childlike faith. In my own story, volunteering in youth ministry for eight years and now being a youth minister for the last four years, I've realized just how true this is. I might not have put children in the best light earlier with the moon story, so I have some more stories because children have so much to teach us about faith. Children have so many great qualities and things they can teach us, but in my experience, there are three qualities um, that kind of stick out to me. Number one, children are honest. If anyone has ever sat next to a small child on an airplane, which the Lord always seems to bless me with, by the way, You would know that they are not afraid to make it known that they are uncomfortable. There's a reason there's a saying, don't cry over spilled milk, because kids will literally cry over spilled milk. Parents in the room know what I'm talking about. But in the same way, are you honest with your prayers? Are you honest with God? Do you cry out to him when you're hurt and in need of healing? Do you seek his comfort even in the little things in life? Children are not afraid to share their emotions when they're in the presence of those they know care about them. In the month of October, student ministry went through a series devoted to talking about doubt. And for the final two weeks of this series, we had students write down questions and things that they were struggling with in their faith. And one of our middle schoolers wrote this question, am I saying the right prayers? I want to pray purely and not treat God like a genie. What a beautiful and honest question. It's a question I think all of us in this room could stand to ask ourselves every day. Am I saying the right prayers? Children are honest and vulnerable. Number two, children are dependent. They know who to run to for help. Everyone who has ever attempted the peak of comedy, funny faces, or dare I say it, the legendary peekaboo gambit. When they attempt one of these, you would know that some days... You just don't got it. And the child inevitably runs and hides behind their parents' legs. And if this hasn't happened to you, um, then I don't believe you. But children know who to run to. In our culture today, the word independence gets thrown around a lot as a great thing. And while there are some good ways to be independent financially and so on, none of us are fully independent. Most of us in this room probably don't farm their own food Most of us in this room probably didn't install or create every aspect of their house, apartment, or car. You probably didn't mind for the gas. We are dependent on others. And if we can acknowledge that, which you should, then we can also acknowledge that we are spiritually dependent. There are times in our lives in which we are left broken and we have created a mess too big for ourselves to clean up. In those cases, we must learn from children and run to our Father. Number three, children believe with their whole hearts. Years ago, when I was away at college, my mom decided that she wanted to clean the kitchen windows, which was great, except for the fact that she can't reach the windows in the kitchen over our kitchen counter. So she climbs up on our granite counter and cleans the kitchen window, but as she's getting down, she slips from about four feet up And as she's coming down, she hits her head on the edge of the granite island in our kitchen. This knocks her unconscious and creates a puddle of blood. And my dad, coming to investigate the large crashing noise, finds my mom, unconscious on the floor, with a puddle of blood coming from her head. To make matters worse, my mom at this point had recently gotten hair extensions. And so when my dad grabbed the back of her head, pieces of hair fell out covered in goo. And my dad, like most men out there, did not know anything about hair extensions. (laughs) So he believes that he's holding part of my mom's brain. (laughs) It's safe to say that he was completely and utterly terrified at this moment. And my sister, who was about eight at this time, had been with my dad throughout this. And my dad, not knowing what else to say or do, tells my sister to pray. And in that moment, my dad says my eight year old sister taught him how to pray. She prayed with no fear and with a childlike faith. And before they left for the hospital, my sister wrote this note for my brothers who lived at home during this time. Ross and Peyton, mommy is hurt, but she is at the hospital. She is going to be okay. Ace is our dog. Ace is in the laundry room. Okay, please make Ace happy. (laughs) I still look at this and think about how amazing it is that my sister wrote, She is going to be okay. She had a childlike faith and believed with her whole heart that God was in control. What an example of faith. And God answered her prayers as my mom went home later that night with a hefty concussion, but no serious damage. It's safe to say that she is no longer allowed to clean the windows in our house. Children can teach us so much about faith and what it means to follow Jesus, Jesus calls all of us to a childlike faith, one that humbles ourselves before him and acknowledges that we are dependent on his love and grace. Maybe you've heard the saying before, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Jesus puts it this way, you wouldn't put new wine into old wineskins because it'll tear through the seams. There's so much truth to that saying. Blessed are we because there's still hope. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that we can be born again. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As we end here today, we start the new year. The Christmas story reminds me of another rich ruler named Herod. King Herod captured the throne of Jerusalem sometime around 37 BC with largely the help of the Romans. And he was instituted as a puppet king under their rule, but his status as a puppet king did not prevent him from becoming one of Rome's most loyal leaders and obtaining a wealth that rivaled that of King Solomon in the Old Testament. King Herod was filthy rich and had almost everything he could ever want, but his lust for power and maintaining his kingdom Drove him mad. Historical accounts tell us that Herod killed three of his own sons, as well as his wife and her mother and grandfather, for suspicion of conspiring against him. So it's no surprise that we learn in Matthew chapter 2 that when Herod learns of the birth of a new king, Jesus, from the Magi, he gives orders to kill all male children two years old or younger in Bethlehem. King Herod was an evil man consumed by his own wealth and power and maintaining his own kingdom. But I think if we're honest, that evil exists within all of us. Our desire to hold on to our own kingdoms by any means necessary, the trust in the things that we can see and we can touch, our desire to be in control. I see that evil within myself as I cling to my own kingdom God, I don't want to give these things up in my life. I don't want to go over there where I'm not comfortable. I want to do things my way. And in the wake of these desires, I always end up leaving a trail of destruction, hurting myself and the people closest to me. It's the original sin. The serpent tells Eve that God doesn't want her to eat of the fruit because she will become like him. And Adam and Eve desiring to rule over themselves and no longer submit to God, eat of the fruit, desiring to establish their own kingdoms. And the problem is that this is the greatest lie that was ever told. In desiring to give up God as the Lord of their lives, they only pushed him aside to serve a new master, sin. Since then, our story has been a power struggle of us trying to establish our own kingdoms only to discover time and time again that we are ruled by our own sin. But like I said earlier, there is still hope. Jesus gives us the opportunity to be set free, to no longer be captives to our sin, but it didn't come without a price. Jesus gave his life on the cross, dying a horrible death so that you could be set free. And just like how this act of grace didn't come without a price, neither does following Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus become new creations, but for us to be born again, we must die. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whatever you've done, Whatever baggage you carry today, I can tell you that there is redemption in the name of Jesus. Maybe you felt like hero boy in that you've grown up and you've learned that this world is a cold and broken place. The magic and the joy of your youth has quickly turned to sour cynicism. These things are not what you imagine them to be. And you're desperately looking for a way to find joy in your youth again. Wishing that you could just hear the bell ring one more time. I don't know what you carry, but I do know that my God saves and restores. Your slate can be washed clean and you can become a new creation. A fresh start as you find a joy greater than that of your youth. But first you must stop clinging to your own kingdom. And you must give yourself up to the only true kingdom that will last I'm not here to lie to you and tell you that it's going to be easy. The path of a Christian is to walk the road that Jesus walked. There will be cost to following Jesus. You must die to yourself. But when you do, you will be made alive and free in Christ, experiencing a transcending joy like no other. One that can't be squashed or burnt out by the worries and the troubles of this world because we know that this world does not have the final say. So who are you going to choose to be today? Will you continue to hold on to your treasures and the things of this world, like the rich young ruler and King Herod? Will you continue to be a slave to your own sin, putting your hope in a kingdom that will not last? Or will you approach the kingdom of God like a child, totally and utterly dependent on his grace, surrendering your kingdom to him. As we close here today, I urge you to run to the Father and be wrapped up in his arms. If you want to know more about what it means to experience freedom in Jesus and to give your life to him, come on down to the front. We'd love to talk to you more about what that means, but don't wait. And don't keep something that amazing to yourself. Come and talk to someone. We'd love to hear about it. And sharing that experience with you. I'll pray this out. Jesus, I just pray for everyone in this room, including myself, Lord. I just pray that we can surrender to you and give up our kingdoms. Help us have humility, help us have childlike faith, and that we can just surrender to you, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. And I just pray that we can honor that sacrifice, that we can die to ourselves and become new in who you are. I pray that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.